lot of people to get off stage there, wasn't there? Isn't that awesome? People who just say, I, I, I want to help care for people. That's incredible. So wait, let me get my little basket fixed. Ugh. So if you, if you missed last um, week, you might want to go back and uh, check it out because a lot of people complimented me on the jacket that I wore. So it's, it might, you might want to see it for that. But to, today, welcome back for part two of our series on freedom. So last week, here's in a nutshell, we talked about how freedom isn't about doing what I want when I want the way I want. Freedom is actually about becoming the person that I was created to be, doing the living the life I was created to live, my full redemptive potential. And what helps us get on that road of freedom is realizing I am forgiven. The God and creator of this universe forgives me. He comes forgiving me. And through this forgiveness, then I'm able to return to him and, and trust him and restore the relationship again that I was created for. This is what frees us then to become who it is that we were created to be. Being forgiven, though, it's kind of only halfway of the freedom journey, okay? So the other half of the journey is about being forgiving, which we're going to talk about today. So God couldn't make it more clear to us that this idea of forgiving is really, really important. In Colossians 3, the apostle Paul, he was the man who wrote like 13 books of the New Testament. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And then this is the really important point. Why, why? Because remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And then to the believers in the city of Ephesus, he said it this way. He says, get rid of all the bitterness, all the rage, all the anger, the harsh words, and the slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind and tenderhearted toward one another, forgiving one another once again. How? Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. I mean, God just couldn't make it more clear to us that what we've been given, forgiveness, we are now to give to others. So as we start, let me tell you some things that I know about this crowd of people right here without you guys even raising your hands. Here's what I know. I know that every single person here today has been wronged or hurt by someone in the past. And I also know that every single person here today will be wronged or hurt by someone in the future. And there's this wide range of offenses that we've experienced. Some wrongs were these, man, they were the big ones. They were life-altering major offenses. And then other wrongs, well, by comparison, they would seem smaller, but nevertheless, they were still wrong and still hurtful. So here's where we need to start things the big and the little wrongs, the major and the minor offenses, they all need forgiving if you and I are gonna be free. We can't think that the major offense doesn't deserve forgiveness because, man, the damage was just too great. Uh-uh, it does not deserve it. Nor can we think that the minor offense doesn't need forgiveness because, okay, what well, wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't hurt that bad. It was inconsequential, uh-uh. We can't think either of those things. Last week, we looked at a really great quote by writer C.S. Lewis, but check out this quote, he says. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea 
until they have something to forgive. And I would add, when you have something to forgive, it means you have someone to forgive. And we all know that can be really, really hard. You see, it's hard because we feel so much like we need to hold under unforgiveness as a way, one, to protect ourselves. You know, we, we want to protect ourselves from further harm, and we have this idea that if I hold on to unforgiveness, then I won't be hurt again. And yet we know it doesn't work that way, right? No guarantees. And then we often hold on, on to unforgiveness as a, a way of punishing our offender. You know, we think that we're holding the offender in some kind of a prison as, as payment for their offense. But the truth is, we're the ones imprisoned, right? We're the ones imprisoned by unforgiveness. We're the ones suffering the negative consequences, not the offender. You know, it wasn't that long ago that um, industrialists in our nation, in our world, they thought that the best way to deal with toxic waste was to bury it. You know, if we just bury it in the ground, it just goes away then, right? It didn't take that long before the best and the brightest realized it doesn't work that way. That's a false belief. Toxic waste doesn't go away. It makes trouble because it leaks. It leaks out into the water table. It contaminates crops. It kills animals. It has negative effects on the health of an entire community. And unforgiveness is a toxic waste to our soul. The toxins it produces are resentment and anger, hatred, self-pity, bitterness. And when those things are buried deep in our souls, when unforgiveness is buried deep in our souls, Folks, it leaks. It leaks out into every aspect of our lives and it wreaks havoc. Forgiveness isn't just a lovely idea. It's an absolute necessity in a broken world that's full of hurts and wrongs right now if we are going to be free and healthy people. So let's, let's consider this question to get ourselves going. What's it actually mean? You know, what does it actually mean to forgive someone? Because I think understanding what it means is the first step in becoming a forgiving person, living the forgiving way. So let's revisit a verse that we looked at last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love chapter, and one of the descriptions given by the Apostle Paul of love is it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, love forgives. So this gives you and I an insight then into what it means to forgive. Forgiving means that I'm no longer keeping a record of the wrong that's been done to me. No longer keeping a record of it. So that's one part of our explanation, our definition. Look at this other verse from, also from Corinthians. I'd intended to use this in the message last week and I, and I somehow had left it out. But God was using Christ to restore his relationship with humanity. He didn't hold people's faults against them and he's given us this message of restored relationship to tell others. God doesn't 
hold people's faults against them because he forgives. So now we have another insight into what it means. Forgiving means that I'm no longer holding it against them. Okay, one more. We have one more helpful insight. It comes from Matthew's gospel. And this is another place where Matthew recorded a parable, a story that Jesus told in order to help us understand God and, and his ways and spiritual truth. And so Jesus tells this story. He says that the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date, meaning his financial accounts, with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought to him, and this modern-day translation says it owed him millions of dollars, and, and it's making the point, Jesus, this guy owed the master, the king, a whole lot of money, a ton of money. He couldn't pay it. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned in order to do what? To pay the debt. But it says that this man, he falls down on his knees before his master and he just begs him, please, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. And it says that the master was filled with pity for him. And so here's what he did. He released him and forgave his debt. Another term that's used is that he canceled the servant's debt. So we're gonna come back to the rest of that parable in just a moment. But for now, let's focus on the insight it gives us to what it means to forgive. Forgiving means that I'm just, I'm canceling the debt. See, we see it as if I've been wronged, you owe me. You owe me something. So forgiveness means I'm gonna cancel that. I'm releasing you from payment. You don't owe me anything. We're done. So God says to us, he, he, he lays it out for us then. Here's what it means to forgive, you know? We cancel the debt. We release them from payment. We're no longer counting their faults against them, no longer keeping record. That's what it means to forgive. Now notice what it doesn't mean. This is really important. It doesn't mean that the offense wasn't wrong. We're never saying that. It doesn't mean that it's not a really big deal. It doesn't mean that it didn't and doesn't still really hurt. It doesn't mean that the offender deserves forgiveness. And it doesn't mean that in some cases they won't in time receive the justice that they deserve. You see, look at this verse from Proverbs. It says, don't say I'll pay you back for the wrong you did. What are we to do then? Wait for the Lord. He will make things right. In Hebrews, it says this. We know that God said, I will punish those who do wrong. I will repay them. And he also said, the Lord will judge his people. You know, Pastor Randy often says, God is allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever. But not only is he going to abolish it, folks, the evildoers in our world, we're talking about this level of sin and wrong and hurt done against us. It won't go unpunished. God is a just God, but we leave it in the hands of the only one who can fairly judge it. So you see, forgiving, all this is to say forgiving isn't about what I'm feeling. 
It's not at all about my feelings. We don't have to conjure up a certain set of emotions in order to forgive. It's about a decision and an action. A decision to just release another person in spite of the hurt and the pain that I might be feeling. Now let's look again at how really important this is. Let's look back at that parable and let's pick up where we left off. You see, Jesus had just said that the king had canceled this enormous debt of his servant. I forgive you, you don't owe me anything. So what's the servant's response to this wonderful thing that's been done for him? Jesus goes on with the story. When the man left the king, he went to, he went to a fellow servant who owed him, modern day translation, a few thousand dollars. So he owes this enormous debt to the king This other guy just owes him a little amount of money. And he grabs the man by the throat and he demands instant payment. And then his fellow servant did the same thing he had done to the king. He just falls to his knees and he begs for a little bit more time. And he says, oh, be patient with me and I will repay it, I I, I promise. But the servant wouldn't wait. Instead, he had the man arrested and he put him in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now it says that there was some of the other servants, they saw this and they got very upset by what this man has done. So they went to the king and they told him everything that happened. So the king calls the servant back in. And he says to this one who he had forgiven so much, he says, you evil servant. He said, I forgave you that tremendous debt that you pleaded with me over. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so the angry king, Jesus says, sent the man to prison to be tortured while he paid his entire debt. And to that we say, yeah, that's right. Serves him right. Can you believe what that guy did? I mean, he was given, forgiven this enormous debt and then he goes and demands some man, other man, pay him this piddly little amount that he owed him. What a jerk. What a jerk. I mean, he got what he deserved, right? This is not what we're thinking when we read that. Until we read the rest of what Jesus said that's recorded in the scripture because after he tells the story, he turns to the crowd then and he says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. We're like, what? Wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second, Jesus. I didn't know you were talking about me and the people who have hurt and offended me. I mean, you're saying that God's gonna punish me if I don't forgive them? But come on, they hurt me. They wronged me. How can you say that, Kim? How can you say that? Well, I didn't say it. Jesus is saying it right? In the sixth chapter of the same gospel, the gospel of Matthew, in the place where it says Jesus is teaching us how to pray, you know, he he teaches this is how to pray our Father who art in heaven, and, and we know that in the middle of that prayer, it says, forgive us our debts, interesting word, as we have forgiven our debtors. And in a modern day translation, it says, forgive us our sins, our debts are our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. You see, this whole forgiving thing, it must be really important because right after Jesus 
gives this model prayer for us, again, he turns to the people and he says this. Once again, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father, he'll forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And to that we go, whoa, wait, what? Kim, that does not sound like the same God you talked about last week. I mean, the father in the parable who had forgiven his son immediately and, he, and he's waiting for him to come home and he goes running to him and he has compassion on him and he throws his arm and he forgives him. And, and last week you said, God forgives. And now this week you're suddenly saying that he might take this forgiveness away. Well, I'm not saying it. Jesus is saying it. So why? Why would Jesus say such a thing? Why would God respond to us in this way? What is going on here? I mean, well, why is this such a big deal to God? Well, last week we talked about how God wants a relationship with us. That, that, that God's desire in creating us was to have this personal and intimate and close relationship. We said like that of a father and a child. Do you know what good fathers do for their children, they discipline them. Now notice, I didn't say what they do to their children, I said what they do for their children. Why do they discipline their child? Because they love them, right? They are devoted to their child. They want their child to, to grow up, to become the best person that they can possibly be, to experience the best life that they can experience, reach their full redemptive potential. And that kind of devotion to a child requires fathers and mothers to discipline their child. The writer of Hebrews says it so well. It says, for the Lord disciplines who? Those he loves. And he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? God's discipline is always good for us. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Don't we know that? It's painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. We grow up, we learn, we mature for those who are trained in this way. You see, when God says, if you refuse to give others, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna forgive your sins, he's basically saying, child, I am not pleased with you right now. You are not becoming the son or the daughter that I created you to be. You're not developing in the right way, in the good way. You're developing in a bad way. So child, you need a timeout. You need a timeout for my forgiveness because this is a very serious matter. It's kind of like what hit me as I was reading this. It was kind of like the big mammal butt bite uh, of 1993. <laughs> it's the best example I could think here. Is anybody, and when I say mammal, you know what I'm talking about? Hey, who's got a mammal? I said, my mammal was my grandma. We called her mammal, okay? But it got confusing when my niece was born because now my mom also became mammal. So we had multiple mammals going, and it was like, which mammal, you know? So we turned my grandmother into big mammal, and then my mom became other mammal. 
because she was the other one. It's it, real endearing, isn't it? Uh, my niece came up with that. So when my niece was just two years old, I absolutely adored her, and I was babysitting her this one time. And um, little Emily, two years old, she did something that I had to respond quickly. It was really, really important. Basically, she got upset with Big Mammal about something, and I don't know what it was, but when Big Mammal opened the refrigerator to get something out and she bent over, little Emily goes over and tries to bite her in the butt. I'm like, what? You know, so I knew this, this required swift discipline, right? So I go and I pick her up and I put her in a chair and I say, Emily, we do not bite. And then I told her, I said, you have to sit there in that chair for two minutes. Somewhere along the line, someone had taught me or I'd read that for how, little kids, however old they are, that's how many minutes you time them out for. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but that's what I learned. So I said, two minutes, and I walked away. Put her in a timeout. I put distance between us. Because that's what a timeout is about, right? I had to break the relationship with her for a moment. I withheld my love and affection for a time. I left her to sit there with the consequences of that. And that's what timeouts are about, right? We say, go and think about what you've done. And in that thinking time, we remove ourselves and our affection. I did what I needed to do for her own good because I, I couldn't have her thinking that biting Big Mammal on the butt was cute um, or, or that it was acceptable. It was an acceptable way to deal with not getting her way. I had to put her in a timeout or she still might be biting people today, right? When God says he won't forgive us as we, if we refuse to forgive others, he's saying, all right, child, all right, you're going into timeout. I am disciplining you for your good. So until you figure this thing out and you choose the better way to forgive others like I've forgiven you, then I need to break fellowship with you so that you can see and feel just how serious this matter is. You need to know, child, what it feels like if I withhold my forgiveness. Our Heavenly Father is so committed to our good character development that he would do whatever is necessary to shake us and awaken us to the gravity of the choices that we are making. Remember that quote last week by C.S. Lewis? The choices we are making, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you into something a little different than it was before. You're either turning it into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that's in harmony with God and with other creatures and even with itself, in harmony with itself, or into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God, and hatred and war with its fellow creatures and even with itself, inner turmoil. When we make the choice to not forgive, folks, we are turning that central part of ourselves into a hellish creature, one that's in a state of war and hatred with God, with its fellow creatures, and with itself. Because unforgiveness changes us. It changes us. It turns us into bitter people who are fueled by negativity, 
who are fueled by self-pity, by anger, by revenge, by punishment. So let's talk about bitterness. Let's talk about bitterness. Bitterness is insidious. You see, it, it sneaks in and it settles down into our souls and it just takes up residence there. And the longer that's there, it's there, the more territory that it claims. And in, it just slowly and gradually devours everything that's good in us, in our character. And it destroys all that's good in our lives. We're not even aware that it's happening until one day we just kind of wake up and we realize, I am absolutely miserable. And then we wonder how we got there. It often starts, it often starts with one significant offense. I'm going to use some rocks again this week. Sometimes someone hurt us, they wronged us, they sinned against us. And it was so big, it was so severe that we're like, no way am I ever forgiving them for that. They do not deserve forgiveness. So we hold on to it. And we hold on to unforgiveness and we do that so that we can protect ourselves and we can punish the offender. And then we take it and we're like, let's, let's pack it up, all right? Let's pack it up. Woo, yeah. I got a nice little bag, I can carry it now. Pack up the offense and we, we just start carrying it around with us. We carry it everywhere we go. It's with us all the time. Yeah, it's heavy, but, but I, I don't really realize it because I've gotten so used to how it feels to carry this extra weight. It's kind of like it's become a part of me. It's like a growth, you know? So it kind of feels normal. And in a really strange way, it's a little bit comforting. But this extra load we're carrying changes us. Slowly changes us. You see, it changes us physically. We start to struggle with unexplained aches and pains. We feel weak and tired. We lack energy and enthusiasm in life. We might have sleep issues. Uh, we have other chronic health issues that we deal with, maybe even addiction issues. And then it changes us mentally. We're just kind of consumed with negative thought patterns. We, we go through our days, we're seeing the bad, not the good. We're focused on all that's wrong and unfair in this world. We see ourselves as being wronged over and over again with just the slightest things because we've started to develop this victim mentality. People treat me wrong. And nobody understands. Nobody cares. And then it changes us emotionally. We struggle with things like anxiety and depression, and we've got anger issues. We are so easily frustrated and so often disappointed. Joy, happiness, peace, what's, what's all that? 
fleeting moments for us. It's just hard to put a smile on my face. Every day I get up, it is just hard to be me. It changes us relationally. We don't know what it's like to have close and intimate relationships because we keep people at a distance. Remember, I'm protecting myself. So our relationships tend to be full of just struggle and strife and a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of conflict over silly things. We become very critical and, and fault-finding toward the people in our lives. And we struggle. We struggle to feel genuinely loved by them. And at the same time, we struggle to feel love toward them. Not saying we don't, but to feel that love. We struggle. We feel a bit numb. And then it certainly changes us spiritually. I mean, just like with people, we keep God at a distance too, and we question his love for us, and we struggle to fully and completely trust him. This extra load changes us. It changes us. And it's not long then before my whole outlook on life has changed as a result of these things. I start to see people differently and I see situations differently and I, I see it as if I'm always treated unfairly. I'm a victim in this life. So now instead of just carrying this, this one big offense with around me, well, man, now I'm gonna, start, I'm gonna start collecting some rocks. All right, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just collect some more and, 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 and some more, I'm gonna fill up my bag. I'm taking note of how people have wronged me every single day, how they offend me, how life is unfair, and I'm, I'm filling up my bag. I'm gonna keep record of all those wrongs, all the faults against me, the real ones and the imagined ones. Heck, I might even start organizing them. You know, I, I like, I got a bag that, that right there, that's, if I was married, that was for my spouse. Because all the ways that they wrong me all the time. And then I got a bag for my mom or my dad because they've got their whole separate things, you know. And then, and then there's that person in my family, my brother and my sister, I got a bag for them too. And then over here, that's all those people at work. Yeah. I got a lot of bags I'm carrying around. I'll show them I'm keeping record of all their faults and offenses. I'm counting it against them. They owe me. I got the records right here to prove it because I've been collecting rocks so I can protect myself and punish my offenders. But who's being punished? Who's, who's actually suffering the consequences here? Like someone once said, bitterness, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? Our loving and our forgiving father's pleading with us. He's pleading with us. Forgive. My child, forgive so that you can be set free. I mean, there's, 
There's no doubt that once we choose the forgiving way, we are going to be set free from a lot of unnecessary physical, mental, emotional pain and anguish. But there are other ways that we're going to be set free as well, that God wants us to be set free. You see, one of the ways that the things he wants to set us free to restore relationships. Let's look at those two verses again that we started with. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance for each other's faults. And then in Ephesians, remember he said, get rid of the bitterness and get rid of the rage and the anger, the harsh words and slander and all the evil behavior. It's be kind to each other, be tenderhearted to each other, forgiving one another. These verses are all about relationship. Relationship, God is doing what he can to restore relationships. Just like he desires restoration in our relationship with him, he desires restoration in our relationships with one another. Because people will hurt us. People will wrong us. And relationships will be severed. But God wants so much to heal and to repair broken relationships. And the only remedy for healing these broken relationships is choosing to forgive. Now we gotta do a little side note here, a little caveat in this. Sometimes, sometimes once in a while, relational restoration and reconciliation is not good and is not wise. In some cases, it's not even possible, perhaps. But in most cases, in most cases, you gotta figure that out with God yourself. But in most cases, the forgiving way brings about relational restoration in our lives and it's a restoration that God desperately wants for us, for our good. And then there's one more reason that God wants to, for us to be set free. And it's so that we're free to represent him I mean, let's look back again, another verse we already looked at. God was using Christ to restore his relationship with humanity. He didn't hold people's faults against them. And he's given us this message of restored relationship to tell others. And that goes on to say, there's a verse that says, we are therefore God's representatives or his ambassadors. We are his representatives on earth, the message of restored relationships, of reconciliation has been entrusted to you and I. God is counting on us, his people, to tell others about his amazing forgiveness so that they too can be reconciled to him, so that their relationship can be restored through trust. But how in the world can we possibly tell others about his amazing forgiveness if we ourselves are not forgiving like him we can't we cannot represent our god until we are forgiving just as he is forgiving and forgives us so i've been convinced all week that the lord wants to set some people free today free to be able to experience what my uncle gary experiences and wrote to me yesterday in an email. I was so tickled. He lives in Georgia and he sent me this email. His first email to me was just a prayer over me. And I, man, it just oh, it meant so much to me. And we emailed back and forth. And, and he shared this with me. 
He said, I find that forgiveness is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. It still amazes me to this day, at age 84, is my Uncle Gary, that all my past sins have been forgiven. Still at 84, he's in awe of God's forgiveness. It makes me a happy camper. Forgiving someone that has wronged you, it's not easy to do. Until, until I think of what God has forgiven me for, then it's a piece of cake and a joy to do. We forgive as God has forgiven us. So how, how do we do this then? If you're sitting here like, man, I, I know, I know this is an issue in my life and I need to take action. Well, what kind of action? It starts here with just desire, I think. You see, I don't need to feel like forgiving, but I do need to want to be free. Free from the bitterness that's buried in my soul and, and leaking out into my life. I wanna forgive because God has forgiven me so much. And I wanna represent him well on this planet. I wanna be set free and become the person that God has created to me. Is that your desire? It starts there. And then from desire, we depend. We depend. You see, forgiveness, it often requires, like my Uncle Gary said, it's not easy. So it, it, it requires divine intervention. We usually just do not have the strength on our own to do this thing of forgiving. And that's why the psalmist, he says, look to the Lord and his strength, not your own, look to his strength. And in Philippians, the apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ because he gives me the strength, all things. On my own, I cannot forgive, I don't have the strength, but through Christ and the strength that he will give me, he promises to give me, I can forgive. Then with Christ's strength, I simply need to do this, do something. You can say it, you can pray it, you can write it, you can tell it, you can burn it. A couple ideas I came up with. Say it, meaning just speak it, just say, I forgive on this day. I forgive blank for blank. Or maybe you pray it, God, I'm telling you, mark this down, Lord, in this prayer today, I, I forgive blank for blank. Or we write it, writing is always good. Or tell it, just tell a friend. Let someone in your life know of this decision or burn it, write it down and then put it on fire and watch it go up in smoke. Whatever you wanna do, just choose something that will help you mark the moment when you said, I forgive. I'm choosing to live the forgiving way. And then know this, most likely, you're gonna to need to do it again and again and again and again and again. Cause see, the strong emotions and the memories will come back and they'll wanna take hold. But what you do is you just do it again. You simply remember, nope, nope, I'm not going there. I forgave this already with Christ's strength working in me, so I'm choosing to forgive again. Sometimes it's like layers of an onion just peeling over and over time. 936. That was K. 
Kevin Tunnell's punishment for an offense in 1982, at age 17, he was driving drunk. He killed a passenger in his car as a result of that 18-year-old Susan. So the family of the young woman, Susan's family, she, they sued Kevin for $1.5 million. But they ended up settling for $936. Seems strange, right? That's because it was a condition on this $936. Kevin had to pay $1 at a time. Each week on Friday, he was required to mail a check made out to Susan Herzog, the woman that died in his car, and mailed to the family so that he would never, ever forget what happened on that first day, that first Friday in 1982, the day that their daughter was killed. And then this weekly restitution was to go 18 years, representing each year of her life. Four times the family had to take him to court for failure to comply. And Tunnel insisted, he was like, I'm not defying the order, it's just that I am haunted. I am haunted by this girl's death, and I am tormented by the reminders. He offered the family two boxes of checks to cover the payments that would even include an extra year, go all the way to 2001, one more than required, but they refused it. It's not the money they sought. They needed to punish her offender, their offender. Now, I don't think any of us would question the hurt and the anger those parents had experienced. But the big question is this. Was 936 payments enough? I mean, when the family received that final payment, were they then at peace? Were they free now? In August of 2000, were they able to finally put this matter to rest and go on with their lives? How deep had bitterness lodged into their soul by that time over 18 years? How much territory had bitterness claimed in their souls? And, and what kind of damage had the leakage now done in their lives mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually? Freedom is all about who we are becoming. We are free when we realize we are forgiven. And we are free when we are forgiving. Forgiving. So as I said, I really feel like God, God wants to set some people free today. And so just like last week, um, we want to give you an invitation, invitation to freedom on the side walls. If you would like, if God is moving you and you want to make this the moment you mark down, I forgive. Then we invite you as we close out, whether it's during the closing song or afterwards, to go. And you can see today the, the boards are black. This is personal. So whatever name, you can write the name of who you're choosing to forgive and no one else is going to see it. It's between you and God. But it gives you 
the opportunity to make the choice today. Let's pray. God, how we thank you once again and are just in awe of your forgiveness, your amazing love and forgiveness. And so, Lord, how I pray that your forgiveness has gotten so deep into our souls that there is no room for this thing called unforgiveness. No longer anymore. God, free us today. Free us from unforgiveness. Free us from bitterness. Help us to heal from any effects that bitterness has had in our lives. Have your way in us, we pray. May we be your people who live the forgiving way and are free from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.